Good evening, good morning, wherever you are. I welcome you to Redevolve, our webcast for consciousness and culture. I'm happy to have with us Inja Adnan from London. Inja, welcome to Redevolve. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to spending some time with you. Inja, you, uh, you have uh, many backgrounds, uh, particularly you are interested in different kind of politics. You uh, created a political platform in uh, England, in Great Britain, called Alternative UK, which is not a party, it's a platform. And I think mm. this will be part of our conversation. And you also just recently wrote a book that's called The Politics of Waking Up. And if I may say so, your approach to politics starts with uh, questioning how we understand us as humans, as actors of politics. Is this a, a correct statement and a good starting point for this conversation? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great starting point, Thomas, because that's the first really deep question that we faced when asking ourselves, what is wrong with the current political system? Mm. You know, so when we were thinking about what is wrong with the current political system, we had to ask ourselves, who is the human being implied at the heart of this system? Right. And what we observed this. And of course, it's debatable, but, that you know, in the old system, we were what we call homo economicus, you know, a, per, a material a person with material needs um, and the political system's responsibility is to deliver on material you know, a roof over your head, food in, food in your stomach, you know, a job, a tax cut. That's the, that's the responsibility of the political system is to deliver that. And what we're saying is, no, you know, we are complex biopsychosocial spiritual entities um, and we have emotional and spiritual needs as well as physical material needs Imagine if politics, you know, understood us in that way, what, what would then be obliged to try to deliver for, mm. all, for all of us? So it, it's a good starting point because it's exactly the point we knew we had to make a, a distinct shift from the old to something else. I mean, you, you're also putting it out in the way that politics is broken. Mm. And I think many people uh, would just agree with that. And my assumption is it has something also to do with this understanding of who we are and who we do politics for, uh, that politics is broken and the homo economicus. I mean, we all kind of, when we talk like this, we understand that we are, we, we are more than just our economical, rational needs. But mm. somehow our political process seems to be organized around that. Mm. Why, why do you think is this the case? Mm. Well, I think it's more than it's simply organized around that that um, principle it's also designed in a certain way so mm -hmm. it's designed as a competitive system largely between parties so it, it's we call it party politics and it, it, which is something that describes very well what the european system is we're all part of the party political system and then the idea is that you, you know certain elected people are our representatives you know, so we're, so we're getting further and further away at every stage of the design from the idea that human beings themselves have volition and agency and vision and desire and needs 
that have to get met by a system that we would say is political. In other words, distributes power. Instead of that, we have party politics claiming that space and then um, you know, asking us to choose between you know, quite superficial divisions between them. And we are always in the space of opposition, right? So in the UK, it's more extreme than it is in Europe because so, many European um, political systems are proportional. So you can form coalitions between things and the differences aren't so polarized. But in the UK, it's very much still now a two-party system, which invites you to choose between left and right. And it's a very fake divide, you know, because there's no party that only represents left issues and another party that only represents right issues. There's constant overlap between the two of them. And, you know, but the effect nevertheless is to divide everyone. Mm-hmm. So in reality, half the people in our country is actively invested in the failure of the other half. And that destroys our ability to come together as people in a way that we really do have to do at this moment of, of, of unavoidable and, you know, no longer contested crisis. I mean, there are different reasons for that. Uh, you can give power reasons because there's also kind of the divide and rule that helps uh, if you can divide people or uh, it's easier to rule people. Mm. One thing. And there is also kind of uh, that we tend to organize our societies in a very abstract systemic way, which has a lot to do with um, our understanding of reality. Uh, at some point you, you talk about that this has an ontological level, which mm. is more than just critiquing the powers and how um, money power, uh, capital power, or political power uh, tries to instrumentalize us. These are all parts of the problem, but there's also a deeper uh, problem where the way we organize our political process, which means the process of our polis, our living together uh, uh, as uh, humans in a society, in, in a culture, is organized in a way that represents some ideas who we are, And in that, our European ontology, when we go to the deep end here, uh, has a lot to do on on one hand with us understanding as individuals, which is something uh, very powerful. And I think it's always important to say that this is a very good thing also because there there comes something very liberating with that. But it's also... uh, the way we understand us as liberals, uh, as, as, as uh, individuals, has something where we tend to understand it in a very isolated way, uh, where we are not in relationship, but I am on my own. And then we have an understanding of reality that is very systematic, very abstract. So if this comes together, our process, how we organize us, is with uh, isolated individuals, and abstract, very cognitive mental processes, systemic processes, uh, how we organize us. I'm not saying that this is uh, the only uh, part which is problematic about our political process, but I think it's a part that's worth talking about because it's mm. not so much, not so often talked about. Would you agree? Mm. 
I would, but you've said a huge amount there, Thomas, you know, and, and, and let me try to respond to it holistically and coherently because there are many elements. And I would say that one of the conditions in which that has happened, right, historically, mm-hmm. is the separation also between the public and the private space, mm-hmm. right? So in the, and, you know, the fact that historically over centuries, you know, men occupied the public space almost singularly and women were working much more in the private space. And this is obviously not so much now in the 21st century, but even in the 21st century, women find themselves adapting to the public space that was designed by men, right? So when I... This is not a, I'm, I'm not now bringing, um, you know, a gender rights perspective. It's not that at all. It's simply how do we, how do we observe and be able to critique, if you like, the public space that you have described as the place where politics is active or where our institutions are accessible. But there's a contrast, isn't there, between that and the private space. I would say that in the private space, where which may be the place of families, of friends, of our own belief systems, you know, of community, you know, even you might say that's where social media was birthed. Well, actually, social media did the job of eliding the public and the private space, right? But we shouldn't forget that there was a division. And I would say that in the private space, all this disconnection that you're describing, the individualism, doesn't hold quite as strongly there. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that, for example, you know, you, you, you might agree that the job, of a, the job of, a, of a parent is exactly to help a child individuate, become themselves, and relate to their community. That's what a family incubates for a human being and you know if that child has any kind of global um interest for example music you know Mm -hmm. or sport you know or maybe they are political then actually in the in the mind and body of that individual there does exist uh, the three realms, as we would describe them in Buddhism, the ability to think about the self, the ability to think about the community, the ability to think about the world as somehow participating in it, being part of it, affecting it, right? Mm-hmm. So while on the one hand, I fully agree with the notion that our public space is very disconnected and that its narrative is around individualism and this has developed I would contest that this is the human condition because I would say in the private space, we experience the the oneness of those three realms, Mm -hmm. even if in the public space, they are made separate and are disconnected. In fact, you put it very well uh, when you uh, talked about the separation between the the public sphere and the private sphere. Mm which maybe I also would like uh, the, the systemic world and the life world. Mm. Because the way we, we talk about politics and the, the homo economicus comes in, 
mm. is in terms of this systems world. Mm. But the world we live in is at least to a huge degree our life worlds, the people we love, also the people we don't love. Uh, the, the problems we have are uh, our, our environment that has so many more dimensions than our economical dimensions like that. Mm. And in that sense, uh, what I understand, what you in Alternative UK and uh, in your book try to describe and work for is also addressing that, uh, let's put it the other way around. When you, saw, when you at some point say that only 2% of uh, the people are, are engaged in political parties in, in, in this uh, pro system process, mm. you're also making the point that uh, all the others are also part of uh, the political reality. At least we are formed by it. Mm. And, and our life worlds are very much affected by it. Mm. And maybe we have to think how we engage in the polis, in our mm. living together, in a much more integrated way, where we appreciate the characteristics of the life world, its multidimensionality, and in that sense, create a different voice in the political process. Could one say that this is part of the approach that you want to bring in here? No, no, it's, that's beautifully summarized. That's, that, is, that is it. Although I might use different language because for me, everything is system, right? So I am a system as a body. Um, and then, you, and, I, and I'm a very complex system and one that works. You know, there's so much to learn from how a body works, you know, organized um, around different organs things playing very different roles, you know, but around the whole thing lies one kind of, flows one kind of blood and this, the idea of a cell is common to all of them, right? So there are many organizing, there's a lot of unity, but there's also a lot of diversity in my body, right? You know, a heart operates very differently from a liver, for example, but they're both necessary for the functioning of the whole. So I love, I love the body as a, as a system that works, right? So the question is, are we ready now? And for me, this is very evolutionary, you know, and we can talk about the evolution of our power and how maybe historically an individual had very little power over its environment. You know, it's, it really lived, you know, according to the seasons, according to what the environment would offer. And then slowly, historically, we have, you know, we have, we have evidence of how man in particular, you know, took control of its environment and turned it into something that he was capable of imagining, right? So, you know, our industrial era, you know, build, building on top of the earth and extracting from the earth to fulfill the vision that man had for human the human civilization but that's still um you know from a developmental point of view it's still quite childish you know it's still quite young as a as a as a, as a, a reaction to one's environment eventually you know as you'll know from your personal development eventually you change your your relationship with your environment and begin to see that you can't control everything and if you try to control everything you might end up ruining everything you know, that's the same in, 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 a re, in, in a relationship between two people who love each other. If you try to control it all, then you're probably going to block out half of what could come into the relationship. 
So we're at this point, I feel, as a human civilization of learning to live with nature, you know, not necessarily that we operate the same way as a tree or that we operate the same way as, a, as, as, as an animal. We are not the jungle of the same kind, but we play a role as humans within the bigger picture of, of, of a natural world. And we have to live much more you know, in dialogue with our environment now to bring something new that regenerates, you know, that really is capable of, of, of sustaining, but more than sustaining, absolutely regenerating our living conditions all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I, I absolutely say, you know, your, 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 your description of the distinction is absolutely right, that we have to bring like a sort of life politics into being, absolutely. That I would say that is, that is what we're trying to do. But I would also not make it... I, I think that the past was part of our developmental curve as a civilization, so not to reject it outright, because around the world there's different, we're all at different, if you like, stages of being on that curve of how does power really work civilizationally. But we're, it's a very rich possibility now, not least because over the last 30 years, we've been in this revolution of, you know, the people themselves, the non-state actors, really exploring their own agency and, and, and trying to understand their own power for the first time. Right. Yeah. Using what you said about uh, relationship building mm. and understanding that, that we are in a relationship and that a loving relationship, when you try to control it, you kill it. Mm. Uh, uh, that's nothing you said, but I heard you this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's the way I understand uh, your political approach is to honor this and to, uh, to honor uh, that we are, cannot control reality the way we think we can control reality and that we have to learn uh, to appreciate our re- relational reality between each other, uh, between us as a human race and also beyond uh, the, the human sphere with, with nature. You, you use a term that I find very intriguing. You call, I think you call it cosmolocalism. Mm which uh, highlights for me two things, to appreciate the place I'm living in, the place where I have real relationship with, not mm. abstract kind mm. of uh, statistical relationship with that my mental capacity can touch, but people I can uh, relate to, where I have a human relationship with. So to really appreciate uh, this place where my real relationships are, And by the way, that's, it's not only now the village I'm living in, it's also mm. uh, on, on social networks, on, uh, on the internet. Yes. So uh, yes. that, that changes dramatically at this point also. But this, this place where I can have real multidimensional relationship, but also not reducing it to this, but seeing it in the deepest possible context, uh, which uh, I understand the word cosmos stands, cosmos stands for. Mm. And from that, uh, 
my understanding of politics changes uh, because I have to think it in this relationship reality and I have also to think it in the depth of mm. what this cosmos is about. And one more thing, uh, which I just got from what you said before, also to see this not in opposition to uh, classical politics that tries to create uh, systems of also control mm. because they are partly okay and necessary mm. Mm. as long as they are not absolute. Yes. And there can be a partnership, a relationship between both. Absolutely. But to, but to go beyond that and honor this multidimensionality of our human nature hmm. uh, seems to lead to a different political approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, 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 know, I think I know what you're, you're pointing at, um, uh, which is, you know, a very live exploration in our shared space, you know, which is the question of where's the we, you know, what is our environment, in fact. And I would say that there's a dynamism, isn't there, between knowing that you can't control things and at the same time owning yourself in that space, mm. right? So, again, let's talk about a relationship between a group of friends or even between two people. On the one hand, you can't control this network by laying down the rules unless you unless you wanted, you know, unless that was an agreement, right? Sometimes there are partnerships in which one person just becomes the dominant partner and that's some sort of agreement. But that's not really what I'm talking about. There's more potential when um, there is a listening from both. To, and, and a shared responsibility for both. But it's quite important, I feel, that, that we are designed as human beings to have a self that is sovereign. And I'm a psychotherapist too, probably maybe that's, I should introduce that here into the conversation. Because the form and school of psychotherapy that I studied that made so much difference to my politics actually, is to really understand that every human being has emotional needs, that they are designed to get met, right? So in their DNA, we are designed to become social entities and to find our resources in our environment, that to become social is, is, is the same as finding the nutrition that you need to survive. Now, people can understand that very easily in terms of hunter-gatherers, you know, that we need to find in our environment uh, the foods and the, in the nuts, and we might have to kill animals occasionally, and that in doing that, we establish our community. But it's more than that. Now that we are able to articulate things in a new way, as we are today, you know, our emotional needs are part of the nutrition that keeps us healthy and strong, right? So, you know, there's nine according to the human givens model, which is something that I studied, you know, there are nine emotional needs that we're constantly trying to get met. And if we, if we deny those things to ourselves, we will probably try, we'll find that we are getting them met in ways that we're unconsciously allowing. So for example, the need for status, you know, status is very important to the sovereign entity called a human being without status. You can't be seen by your community. And if you're not seen, you, you won't be given a place, you know, to, to, to be yourself and you won't be able to get fed, literally. 
um, and you won't be able to be heard. So your ideas can't be shared and so on. Every human being needs some status. You know, you need belonging. You need attention. You need privacy. You know, so there are, you need autonomy. Autonomy is, is, is core to a human being's sense of self. When these things are not getting met, you will be looking for them actively. That's how we are designed. And we have the resources within us to get those needs met. So we're perfectly designed in a way with the resources and with the needs clearly um, expressed. However, the lifestyles we live often rob us of our own resources. So for example, you know, the need for privacy or the need for belonging cannot get met in the course of a day in which you're just really behaving like a machine most of the time, doing what your job requires you to do. And you don't have the space and time to use your own resources, your ability to have imagination, your ability to have complex relationship, your ability to have rapport with people. All of these things that are designed in us to allow us to get our needs met will be taken away from us. And then the perfect storm for us in the 20th century was that business began to get those needs met for us. So our need for status, you know, was, was answered by getting the right handbag or the right designer training shoe. You know, our need for belonging was met by, I don't know, Coca-Cola, you know, suggesting that all the world is singing together, you know, when they drink Coca-Cola, you know. And we've been deliberately manipulated that way by business to imagine we're getting these needs met all the time through being consumers. Mm-hmm. And so we've become addicted to consumerism. Part of the reclaiming ourselves, Thomas, you know, is understanding how we are motivated. And our, what is, what is um, crucial is that we find a way to become responsible for ourselves, that we can find new ways to get our needs met that are good for us. Um, and don't buy any more into this growth economy that's destroying the planet. So this reclaiming of the self is at the core of us being able to be interdependent with others. So there's this phrase that, you know, the independent political movements use, until you're, the first step to interdependence is independence. First, you have to own your sovereign self become responsible for it in some way. And then when you have that security of being responsible for yourself, it frees you to become interdependent with others Mm -hmm. because you're not at risk of being manipulated. Mm -hmm. So I know, and I know that you know, that we can move into this we space without questioning sometimes our, our individual sovereignty. And I think for spiritual people, this is much easier. But outside of our spiritual community, the need for autonomy and sovereignty of every individual is crucial to our ability to become a greater community, Uh, one that can really build trust and have relationships and Mm. freely move with each other. 
as long as we're expecting the government or the community to guarantee our sovereignty for us, we are vulnerable to that. Mm. And one also could say that any kind of lease space that is not based on sovereignty in some way is by its beginning very dangerous. Yes. And how I hear you, you are also talking about reclaiming the power of imagination because mm. when you're talking about the human needs and how they were kind of uh, met or kind of met by the imagination of Coca-Cola, let's put it that way, mm. and how we are manipulated that way, or it seems the answer to that is to regain the sovereignty of our power of imagination in relationship. Mm. That we as sovereign people in relationship can find what can we imagine mm. together standing on our own feet, not being hanging on kind of a uh, marketing industry uh, mm. imagination, mm. Uh, uh, whatever, mm. uh, to create the world that we want to live in. So uh, is your approach to politics to, to find practical ways how we can start to do that? Mm. Absolutely, it is. And that's very nicely um, described that, yes, to reclaim you. And, and in the process of reclaiming, um, I find that it sounds less like something new, but something true. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I take my mind back from advertising, from the from the media sphere, from social media, from, you know, if I take my mind back. Uh, and move into relationship with people on the basis of that. How can we just be human beings together in this place we live? It f just feels more like true. It's something we always knew was there. It's not new, right? So, but then to look forward into the future is something else. That's to do with how do we build the architecture for helping others to do the same? You know, what kind of community should we now design? And that's the process, yeah. When we started to think about a whole system reclaiming human beings, reclaiming their own agency, we asked ourselves, what kind of a space does this need to happen in? And, you know, it, was, it wasn't difficult to think this needs to happen in a local community or in local communities everywhere, because that is, after all, the place where you have relationship possible in real time, but also where the diversity of the space where you live can best be welcomed. If you try to create really diverse spaces in, in social media or, or on the internet, there's still something virtual about that. It's good to have a good mix in whatever you're doing. But the challenge is much more real when you meet people in person in your community. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody will find that there are many people that they would never meet or would never think the same way as, you know, the, the diversity is always there where you are. Mm. So, yes, so we started to prototype um, a process, we called it collaboratories, where on the ground, in a place, people could meet in response in a way. In the UK, it was, you know, it was just post-Brexit. It was just in response to this very divisive incredibly divisive, um, you know, event that happened, which 
just a week before Brexit happened, you know, an, an MP was murdered. I don't know if you remember that. And that was really the trigger point for us to say, this is a very broken politics where people are so polarized. They believe that it's, you know, appropriate to murder someone. You know, it's like a small war that we've started here. How do we come together? So the process that we designed was called a collaboratory. And it was quite simply bringing people together in a very friendly fashion with no issue on the table. Literally, how do we bring people together in this community over food and drink and to come together and experience community? And then to work, it was a very facilitated space, but very lightly facilitated, more to do with light questions and games and that sort of thing. The next time we met, we, we, we agreed to think about the future together in, of this place. What kind of a future do we want for this town that we're in here? So that was a lot of interesting futuring exercises. And then the third stage was, all right, now that we have a shared sense of our priorities, what do we want to build here for ourselves? Um, how do we go about that? And the building of the you know, the, the, the tools, the practices, the learning that needs to occur, the spaces that need to open up, uh, the economy that needs to be birthed really in this space around this project. It was never something that was all to do with volunteers. You know, we were thinking about what new job could be created that would help this come into being. So very, it's quite a, an entrepreneurial space. That was what we called a community agency network or, or a citizens action network or a CAN for short. So there was the birth of something called a CAN. And, um, it, it, you know, and, and, and that is constantly developing. But once we started to really give ourselves 100% to this prototyping of CANs, we saw that, in fact, these things exist everywhere. It wasn't really an innovation. It's just our own movement from politics to community helped us to become aware of something that was already happening in many places. So you could think of transition towns or eco-villages or um, mutual aid networks. Wherever people were coming together in a diverse way to address the systemic problem of their community, to build something that's appropriate for this age, that was building a can, right? And what we found is there that they're everywhere. And the idea, Thomas, that you know, if you can connect these cans and create a shared voice in these spaces, that is the beginning of a parallel polis, mm -hmm. this parallel mm -hmm. awareness of where power lies that gives rise to a new political system. Mm -hmm. When I read that, uh... And, and you're talking about this parallel police, this par parallel polity. Uh, uh, what I saw as an image in myself is the self-organization of the global civil society. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there, there is global politics uh, as it is. There is global economy as it is. And they're all highly structured uh, systems. Uh, is what you're suggesting, uh, also talking about scalability of what you're doing and what you just described, that the self-organization of something like a civil society in its own aliveness become a partner with global economy 
and with global politics in, 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 that, in that sense, not being kind of necessarily just an opposing force, but a, a relational force that brings this human voice into the conversation on a global scale. Mm. Yeah, again, you know, you've summarized it very beautifully because now I can imagine it and I can imagine that the listeners would be able to see it quite clearly now the way you've described it. And the only thing I would add to that is that we cannot imagine the richness and the power of this thing that is coming into mm -hmm. being now. We imagine it as somehow equivalent. Um, it has a very different kind of power. So the, in a way that the current system has hard power. Mm -hmm. In other words, it controls money. It controls the guns. You know, it controls everything that's capable of coercing people. Um, and most people will think this is the only power that really is worth considering and that, and that one should always be playing for that. But the other one has soft power. Mm -hmm. and it, has the, it has the incredible power of telling a new story about human capacity and human potential. And it witnesses and evidences diversity in a way that the old system cannot do, mm -hmm. right? The only thing that, there's only two words that I would pull back from how you described it. One is uh, civil society, because for too many people, civil society kind of points at uh, the usual suspects. You know, certain people are running civil society even now. So at the top end of that would be, I don't know, NGOs and United Nations. And, you know, that, that is the structure. And I would say that is, in a way, still part of the old system right? It's the bit that's around the edges of the political system. And it actually still feeds on that political system. Mm -hmm. We need a new name for this new thing that's emerging, which is more to do with, you, you know, human energy, imagination, creativity, um, diversity, self-organizing, you know, probably you know, in the early days of Facebook, that's how it was, you know, self-organizing people, people self-organizing into groups. And, you know, unfortunately, because it didn't have real structure, self-awareness, um, it lacked so far a systems analysis of the space, it was easily co-opted by the second stage of Facebook, which was to turn it into a capitalist model, you know, again, then instrumentalizing all of that energy. So there's something new that's arising now, which probably can exist in our imagination before it really exists in reality. And I, I imagine it almost like another planet that we're occupying, you know, that mm. is a, a, a completely different energy that we haven't really experienced before of people becoming vibrant and productive with each other, you know, including the people that we don't agree with. And that's part of what's generating the energy. Um, and, but what is clearly important about it is that it, it is life-giving, as you say, it is a life, it is a new life entity, which contradicts the thing that has killed our planet. So even mm. though we are, working in partnership it's not a it's not as it's not an equal partnership meaning to each its power 
nicely divided is. Isn't that kind of partnership? It's more the partnership between two very different ideas that nevertheless can and, you know, will be um, dynamically in relationship. Right. I also would like to build on the word sovereignty that you used. Mm. Just to really uh, live sovereignty, you also have to have an idea, or better said, you have to have a sense of who you are. And when you talk about cosmolocal, uh, what comes up in the cosmo part of this world is also a deeper understanding of who I, who we are as human beings. What I mean, there's a spiritual dimension coming in. Uh, in, 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 in the sense uh, to understand us deeper in our relatedness, in, uh, let's, in our heartfelt relatedness with each other, with nature, with the whole. If you call it spiritual or not, it's, uh, it's not the point. The point is that it, uh, it has the steps that is needed. So there's, there, there's something uh, mm -hmm. where our human heart is in this. And in that sense, it's also not... Um, Part, equal partnership in the way you described it, because um, our, our economics and our politics in themselves, they're abstract systems, they're tools that we have created this culture that mm. basically became their own. Uh, and we have to reclaim them uh, in what was always the foundation of all of it, which is us as a species with our heart, who we are, the life process. So that, that there's, there's something that, that we have to reclaim also uh, that whatever this new thing is, it doesn't have to be the civil society, understand your uh, reserva reservation with that, but it, that we understand this is where, where we also find out who we are as an individual, but also as a collective uh, or as a life process, there where you, you, you bring it. And then you can see, okay, we, we have to create systems, we have to create economics, we have to create abstractions, we, we have to have a goal, politics and governance, all of that, but that's not where the heart is, the heart is with us. Yeah, I love again. I love that it's a, it's a very attractive proposition. Um, I think the only the only proviso I would I would I would put is 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 that can we ever really answer that question of who we are? You know, especially as a as a civilization or as an ent you know as human beings, can we actually ever answer that? Because our spiritual self is beyond, well, to my mind, and we can discuss this, right, is beyond our ability to speak to it, right? It's something we can sense. Mm -hmm. But to become conscious of it is to really put words to something, you know, or... No, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Maybe it's better put not to, uh, to make clear, it's not about answering the question, but to ask it in a deep enough way yeah. as an ongoing process. Yes. The problem was likely never will end. No, no, exactly. As an ongoing process. So, you know, to see, as I've done so many times in my life, you know, I've seen lives finish, right? And this has been the, like a, a pattern in my life, you know, at a young age, my brother died and then my mother had seven brothers and sisters, six of whom died while I was a teenager. And I was always facing death, facing death, facing death. And it caused me to have two, you know, I challenged it. That was my life's challenge, really, is to be able to live in with it, you know, with death, 
in a way that didn't make me feel just constantly grieving and bereft. And, and, and what, it, what it made me understand is on the one hand, you only have this lifespan, whatever your lifespan is, that's what you have. So you can't guarantee that you're going to fulfill your goal, right? You, you know, my goal right now would take another 30 years, maybe more, I don't know. Let's just give it a wild number. I might have those other 30 years. I might see this goal realized before I die, but it's highly unlikely that I will. I'll probably stop at some point. So to be to be to to, to be happy with to be perfectly um, accommodate like yeah at ease with the idea that today is the day that I'm doing what I'm doing to do whatever I can today that encapsulates and holds all of what I wish to do, mm-hmm. but. I'm only ever always becoming something. Mm-hmm. You know, I never, there's no end point to this. Mm-hmm. You know, if I look back even this year, Thomas, you know, even this conversation, I'm going to be slightly different than the person who came into this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, an hour ago. And this acceptance of that we're always becoming mm-hmm. rather than that we are something, which we might never be able to really we can, I feel that the spiritual aspect of it is that that becomes very coherent and constant and eternal, the spiritual mm-hmm. space. But the place of action, the place of being human, takes it to something that is in time and space. You know, I'm acting in time and space, and then I have to find that acceptable, you know, and that I have to act as if it is acceptable. Right to be always becoming rather than to have landed entirely as a. So for me, the 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 nearest thing that I could get to it was like, what is the difference between a Buddha and a Bodhisattva, for example? You know, the Buddha is the infinite idea of an infinite cosmology and that I'm part of, and the Buddha nature is the endless life flow, right? But to be a to be a human on this earth is to be a Bodhisattva to try, you know, to give my life to helping emergence, whether it's the emergence of a human being or the emergence of a society or the much, is to be in that process without really getting to the conclusion or creating firm fixed entities or identities. It's, it's always becoming, becoming, becoming. Joy, I really would love to end with exactly this. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Thomas.